Welcome to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. Our podcast blends a taste of the music that we experience here in worship on Sunday mornings, along with the scripture reading and a message. We would love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. If you are here in Berkeley, Epworth's worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 1953 Hopkins on the corner of Napa and Hopkins. Or if you connect with our podcast from further away, we would invite you to visit our website, epworthberkeley.org. We'd invite you to keep seeking to grow in faith and to stop by the next time you're in Berkeley. My name is Ida Naranjo, and I will be reading from uh, Paul's second letter to Timothy, uh, chapter 4, verses 6 to 8, and verses 6 to 18, which is on page 213 in the New Testament portion of your Bible. As we finish the reading, we will uh, use the response that is printed in your bulletin. As for me... I am already being poured out as a libation, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. From now on, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them, but the Lord stood by me and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and save me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Holy wisdom, holy words. Thanks, Thanks be to God. The, the smoke is getting to me. And um, well, it, it reminds me of two things. First, to be um, in prayerful um, solidarity with those who are displaced, those who are in danger of losing their homes, those who have already left their homes lost their homes. May we hold them in our prayers. The second thing it reminds me of is that when I was an intern here with the Reverend Odette Lockwood-Stewart, sitting over here, she would often say to me, I think my voice is going, you might have to give my sermon for me. (laughs) Get ready, Jacob. I have very few items in my possession that are, that are written in Grandma Flo's hand. No letters, just a few notes. Her handwriting was almost childlike, uh, having been denied the benefit of good formal education. And in those notes, she always spelled my name wrong. She spelled it brain. 
not because she thought I was brilliant, and she did, but uh, <laughs> she was sounding it out, Brian, Brian, is that how she pronounced it, Brian? And those notes were never very important, usually something like, I had to go out, but I will see you soon. Old letters take on a new meaning over time, a new importance. We don't know for sure whether or not Paul wrote this letter. If he did, it was most likely his last. Having traveled the known world preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, in the second letter to his protege Timothy, we find the hero of the faith, alone in a Roman prison cell. For all intents and purposes, this is Paul's last will and testament. It's one of his most vulnerable writings. The letter is addressed to Timothy, a young preacher. Timothy was the son and grandson of two very strong women in the early church, Eunice and Lois. We know they were influential in the church because their names have been recorded and preserved. And of the 3,200 characters in the Bible, less than 5% of those who are named are women. We know that Timothy grew up in the church, and we know that he had a grandma, and that's a good start. We also know that somewhere along the way, Paul became a mentor to him. And in time, Timothy became an evangelist in his own right. And here in this letter, Paul is giving him advice and instruction and encouragement. It's not a letter to a church community like many of his others. It is a letter to one man. He tells Timothy to proclaim the gospel, rebuke evil, and encourage the faithful to stay strong in the face of adversity. The Revised Common Lectionary is a scriptural guide that meanders through the Bible in a series of three years worth of Sundays. And the way the scriptures are presented is often fragmented. And I get curious about what they've left out, what's in between those things that they decided to include and they left out. For instance, nestled in between the verses that Ida read earlier is verse 15, which is not a theological pontification, but a more practical matter. Paul says, the cloak that I left there, when thou comest, bring with thee. When you come, can you bring the jacket that I left at your place? <laughs> in between theological reflections and evangelistic admonishments, a simple phrase, bring my jacket. It's strikingly personal. We can almost see Paul in his cell, alone and cold, thinking of his cloak. I can't help but remember that at the stoning of Stephen, Paul, then Saul, stood by and held the coats of the men who stoned Stephen to death. Was the cloak he requested the same that he wore that day? Was it the same he wore on the night that Jesus appeared to him in a vision and he was changed? Was it the cloak he wore on those missionary journeys as he sailed to Corinth and Thessalonica and Ephesus? I can't help but think of the arc of Paul's ministry, being reminded of where he came from and what he did and how he was changed and when he was called and what price he paid for the ministry of the gospel. Paul does not ask Timothy to come and bail him out or gather a posse to storm the jail. He says, bring me my cloak and my books and my parchments. 
on the days when I feel as though there is no old redemption story or it doesn't apply to me, and when I can't remember why I'm here and why I answered the call to ministry, Paul reminds me that every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. And above all, God is faithful. In the wake of General Conference earlier this year, most of us were bloodied and bruised spiritually and emotionally. And in my own grief, I was led to this letter, the second letter to Timothy, where Paul writes, I know whom I have believed. And I said to my friends, we are not victims, but we are co-conspirators in God's mighty act of salvation in the world. Not victims, but co-conspirators. And anyone who preaches a truth that threatens the status quo eventually ends up on somebody's list. Paul knew it. Timothy knew it. During a workday at Trinity yesterday, volunteers sorted through the church library and they ran across an old Billy Graham book. And as they tossed it into the donation pile, I remembered how I felt when Billy Graham died a few years ago. Growing up, I remember hearing his sermons and watching his crusades, he called them, on TV. And he was different from the other evangelicals, the other televangelists, because he was less flashy, more refined. He was less an entertainer and more of a servant. And I remember thinking that a little bit of the world died with Billy Graham. Maybe not a little bit of the world, maybe a whole world died with him. It's a, a world in which one person answering the call on their life could bring a powerful and practical gospel to the lives of millions without the benefit of Twitter or Facebook or Snapchat or whatever the kids are using these days. And like Paul, Billy Graham didn't preach an easy gospel or cheap grace. He preached repentance from the sins that separate us from God and from one another. And he preached the irresistible grace of God that works in us, receives us as we are, and works to restore the image of God to us. And like Paul and Grandma Flo, Billy Graham's personal conviction inspired confidence in his hearers. He was so sure of God's goodness and mercy that he was able to build up that confidence and that surety in others. Billy Graham represented that element of the greatest generation who, without the complications of postmodernism, reassured the people that God of our forebears was still engaged in the affairs of humanity. These days, things feel more complicated and less certain. We wonder, where is God? And in the wake of tragedies and personal and public tragedies, we get discouraged. The same old fears and doubts rise up in us and we seek out reliable and trustworthy sources of hope and comfort. We want to know that our striving matters. We want to know that somewhere, sometimes suffering ceases. We want to see justice in the world. We want to know that someone bears witness to our lives. Here in 2 Timothy and elsewhere in his writings, Paul compares the Christian life to running a race not in the sense that we are in competition, but acknowledging that, like a race, the endurance that the ministry requires is similar to that of a runner. He tells Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my race. I have kept the faith. Fight and finish and keep. Now, we may or may not share all aspects of Paul's or Billy's or Grandma Flo's theology, 
but we share their faith. We've inherited this scripture, and we know the same God, but we may find ourselves far afield from them theologically. At one of the many welcome dinners I've been attending, the conversation at the table turned to not faith or or worship or politics, but beliefs, specifically to beliefs. It was acknowledged that in a place like Epworth where there's room for everybody, you might sit next to somebody for decades and never know what they believe. Maybe that preserves friendships, I don't know. It can be easy to focus on the gospel imperative for justice without examining the pieces of scripture that challenge us more deeply as Christians, whether we are progressive or conservative or somewhere in the middle. And I've chosen today a hymn that reflects the theology of Paul and Billy Graham called Jesus Paid It All. And I heard rumblings from the choir already. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if we could sing this. But they have been given permission to change the words as they sing it, and you can too. But I want to tell you about this hymn. In 1865, sitting in worship at the Monument Street Methodist Church in Baltimore, Miss Elvina Hall was bored with her pastor's long-winded and apparently uninteresting sermon. And in her hymnal, she jotted down the words. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. For 150 years, Methodists have sung it. The, Beth the, the Baptists claim it, but let's remember that it came from a very faithful and very bored Methodist. Wait a second. Are one of you writing America's great, next great hymn right now? Sally Nasman? Bishop Karen Olivito says all of our theology is contained in our hymns. And when it is time, as we sing this hymn, I want to invite you to consider what speaks to you in the words. Does the blood make you cringe? Where does the theology of Paul and Billy and Elvina rub against you in the wrong way? Let's talk about it and explore it and take the risk of complicating theological reflection maybe complicating our relationships with one another. Some might say, I thought you were progressive. I thought you were conservative. Jesus paid it all, the ultimate price, all to him I owe, because I don't know where I would be this morning or any morning without God's great love and that gospel of Jesus Christ that we have received Paul and Timothy were living in a world where faith could, and for many did, get them killed. A world hostile to their faith. Elvina lived in a world where the mighty Methodist church fractured. A crack heard round the world. Billy Graham saw what possibly was the peak of modern Christianity. And we witnessed the demise of the institutional church. It's my personal belief the demise of the institutional church, not the faith, but the institution. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, you are a letter from Christ, written not with ink, but with the spirit of God, not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. We are an open letter to the church and to the world. Do our lives proclaim, rebuke, and encourage? 
May we know whom we have believed. May we fight the good and right and worthwhile fight. When the time comes, finish our race. And through it all, keep the faith that has sustained us. God is good and God is faithful. Thanks be to God. Oh, my God.